0: Welcome to Conversation Mill. Join me as I talk to individuals stepping out to pursue their passions, from small business owners to community leaders, and learn with me how we can work together to support our local communities and local economies. Visit ConversationMill.com to learn more, but now please join us in conversation. Humans have been making cheese since we first milked a goat or cow. I'm not exaggerating. The history of cheese making goes back thousands of years, and no one knows who that first brilliant person was that curdled milk. Not only leading to cheese, but creating the first cheese curd. Being a Wisconsinite, I have cheese as part of my DNA. Gibbsville Cheese Factory, named after the small hamlet it resides in, has been our go-to cheese shop for as long as I can remember. I've been giving Gibbsville cheese as gifts for years and dropping in on visits home for fresh cheese curds and more. But with all this love for cheese, I've never spent time learning the history of our local cheese factories. Sheboygan County, Wisconsin alone once had 200 cheese factories. With Gibbsville Cheese Factory being one of these. Current owner Philip Van Tatenhove is honoring his grandparents and parents by leading Gibbsville Cheese in its 89th year. And on today's episode, he shares Gibbsville's history and the changes the cheese making industry has seen. We recorded this episode in the factory office so you will hear the sounds of business going on around us because the cheese making can't stop. Now join us in conversation. All right. So my first question is, um, I mean, uh, maybe an obvious question, but I'm obsessed with cheese. I love cheese. I'm a cheese head. Why is our Wisconsin cheese the best cheese?
1: I think it's because of our, our milkshed, you, you know, our climate, our soil, because that's what your milk's going to taste like and, you know, your main ingredients, milk, if your milk if your milk tastes bad um, your cheese is going to it's going to it's going to mimic what it tastes like cuz you know it's your terror of your soil and everything that's and and we've been doing it a long time so we got skill set for doing it but it really comes down to milk yeah. our milk is we got we have better milk i think than a lot of places mm. you know we have we have you know they want to milk cows every place now you know where They're not historically, you know, milk cows. So they got to bring in feed from everywhere where they don't do that in Wisconsin. We don't buy feed from a long ways away. You know, it's, you know, it's, you know, your, your, your farm, your land, you know, that's where it comes from.
0: This was a question I had um, a little bit further in the podcast, but since we're kind of talking about milk, where does Gibbsville cheese source their milk from?
1: I, I don't have any farms anymore. Um, I work with different co-ops. I do a lot of organic. So I, I source milk from crop. That's Organic Valley. Um, I source milk from family dairies, uh, from NFO. And I buy spot loads from other places. I got I do a lot of kosher for Passover. That comes from uh, Rockline Farms. Uh, that's a big, big farm near Random Lake, so it's all pretty local. I mean, yeah. the organic gets some miles on it once in a while because not it's harder to source organic milk, but it's all from the eastern part of Wisconsin. All the, all my milk comes, like my local routes. That's all probably 20-mile radius milk.
0: Okay. Now, Gisgill Cheese has been making cheese for over 65 years, you're currently the fourth generation of your family operating the factory. Who were the first and if I mispronounce this name please correct me but Van Tavenhoes?
1: Van Tatenhoes. I'm Van a Van Tatenhoes. Tatenhoes. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've uh, actually had it 89 years. Oh, 89. Yeah, yeah. My okay. my dad, my, dad wow. my grandpa got it 89 years ago. Okay. And if you look at the book here you can you'll see who had it. My grandpa bought it from Louis Bear. Louis Bear got it from Fred Bolt, which there's still bolts in the area yet, and there's, you know, there's actually, I can remember there being a Fred Bolt, but that was a grandson of the original Fred Bolt. Uh, there's unks that had it in between there. Um, some name, uh, Whistlink had it in between. A lot of people had it them from 1873 until 1933. There was probably five different people had it in that times time frame. Gotcha. Yeah. So
0: tell us, so then your grandfather was the first one to take it over in your family. In my family, yep. And tell us a little bit about his story. How did he get to cheesemaking?
1: He was born in Holland, and when they came to Sheboygan, they came a lot later than most of the people from Holland around here. They went into Sheboygan, and, well, they're Dutch. Mm -hmm. Sheboygan's German. The Dutch hated the Germans yeah. and the Germans hated the Dutch. So they couldn't stay in Sheboygan. So then they went to falls. Sheboygan falls got a lot of Dutch, but we aren't, we're in the rock from the wrong part of Holland. So we weren't the right kind of Dutch. So they ended up going to, you know, uh, County on County trunk E between Cascade and Plymouth. There was a little town there. They, they got a historical marker there, but I can't remember what it's called. Um, that's Ford farms was up there. Um, that's where they 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 farmed around there but they weren't very good at farming and during the depression part of them went to California and then the ones that stayed around went to Kowaskam. and and okay. my grandpa started making cheese at, in a place in Kowaskam. I I've I've gone past there but I I didn't take mental note because I was younger and I didn't really care at the time, you know, but they made a, I did, I should have made a, and now those streets, those roads are all different around Kowalska. But then he he was making cheese in Kowalska and my grandma worked for a lawyer in Sheboygan and that was his lawyer. He married my grandma and my grandma was not going to live out in Co- in Kowalska. Okay. You know, you know yeah. she was not moving to Kowalska. You know, she was from Hingham, you know. Okay. And so she was not going out to Kowalska. And basically she was, she was the brains of the operation. You know, mm. she was, uh, she was a paralegal back in the day when
0: that was, I was going to say uh, that's for, early for yeah. her to be yeah, in and, that profession. And
1: they got, he. my grandpa was 28. I think my grandma was like 26 or 27. That time, you know. you're That's getting,
0: late for getting together. You're, yeah. you're going to
1: be a spinster by your that time right. you're that old. You know, if you're not, you know, then that day, if you weren't married when you were 20, you were, you were going to be an old spinster. Yeah. But she was uh, very, very smart. Uh, photographic memory. Wow. Because when the factory burned down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: we had over 100 patrons at that time, farmers, because it was all little canned milk, one or two canned farms. She had done payroll the day before. All, all the paperwork got burnt up. From memory, she could start the books over and be close enough. Yeah, she would.
0: Wow. Yeah, she
1: was really. Uh, I don't, you know, my yeah. grandma always seemed like like she was old. You know when I when you know because it was my grandma, but I mean she was she did always did the books. In, there used to be a house next door. Yeah, that's where the kind of the office was because you didn't really need that formal of an office back then. But uh yeah, she was she was she was definitely the brains of the operation. You know that's uh you know she was for for her time. You know the being that she worked. You know she didn't. You know, she moved to Sheboygan, you know, worked in, never had a driver's license either. So that means when you moved to Sheboygan, you had to stay in Sheboygan yep. or wherever you were.
0: What You mentioned the fire in 1945 that destroyed the factory. How long had your grandparents owned it at that point when that happened? Twelve years. Twelve years. Yep. And what were the circumstances around that fire? And then at what steps did they take to rebuild?
1: Um Well... That was common. You know, these are wood frame buildings with no fire retardant materials. And you had a boiler, you know, a wood fire, a coal fire, a coal fire boiler. And, yeah, it it got hot and started on fire. And it had clapboard siding on it. And when it got hot, they fell off. When they hit the ground, they popped. Oh. And that's what woke them up. Otherwise, they, they would have died. Yes, yeah, they would have slept through it. It was in the middle of the night. But they were down for about a year, and then all our milk went to Hingham Cheese Factory, which was my was uh, that we were uh, cousins. And for it took a year to rebuild it. Uh, uh, Thirteen months, I think they were down before they started making cheese again. And in that time, then they made they would they basically kind of did two shifts over at Hingham. Hingham would do their stuff, and then they would do their stuff afterwards. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and there was a lot of cheese factories around. You know, your milk could go a lot of different places. You know, there was, a, there was like I said, at that time, there's probably still 100 cheese factories in Sheboygan County.
0: Now, you mentioned um, the boiler getting hot. That's what, where the fire started. What Can you talk to us about the cheese-making process then versus now um, and some of those changes?
1: Uh mm-hmm. I wasn't around in 1945, really? but I can remember in the 60s. I mean, uh, yeah, then it was all open vats. I can't remember wood fire vats, but you know.
0: But that's what they used to do was wood fire. Yeah,
1: would be wood vats. fire vats, but you know they had a boiler, so they had steam. So they were steam jacketed. That's the same technology they use today. They still they still have steam jacketed vats, but then they were open. They might have not even had an agitator on the top. You know, you 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 stirred them all out by hand. But when they rebuilt the factory, they had they put four vats in. And at the time, that was a big cheese factory. When they rebuilt, you know, and have four vats, and they were four vats with agitators on. And we even had a milk holding tank, and that was like, oh man, a milk holding tank, because otherwise the milk would come in. You wouldn't start until your milk came in. You know, the farmers get done milking. Everybody would jump in a can truck, go around, pick up milk and cans, and uh, and that's when men were men because the a, a milk can weighs ninety pounds, you know, with wow. milk in it, and they double decked them in a milk truck and had to drag them into that, and then dump them. You'd bring them in, dump them, run them through the can washer, put them back in the truck, and then go back out. Well, once the milk started coming in, it went right from the right from that. From the balance tank where they dumped and weighed the milk, right to the pasteurizer, and then you started making cheese, wow. and you made cheese till all your milk was was gone. Well, then we had a holding tank so we could put the milk from that balance tank in a holding tank, and they had that till World War Two, and in World War Two, um, very fine dairy needed that for bottling milk, so the the War Commission or whatever. Took our milk tank,
0: tank and milk. gave it
1: to Very Fine, because very bottling milk was more important than making cheese. So <laughs> yeah. they lost their holding tank then. So wow. that that cause they needed it, they needed it for the war, the war effort. So that's yeah, what a different time. Wow. You
0: know. So what part of the cheese making process are they using the heat during that pasteurization process?
1: You need to, you need it for your pasteurizer because you got you got a HTSD that's you know high temperature, short time. Pasteurizing is just basically heating your milk up to like 165 degrees, and then cooling it back down to oh, say 88 degrees, because you know culture has to start growing at like you know 80 to 90 degrees. If you get it over you know 105 degrees, you'll kill the culture. Mm-hmm. So you that's an optimum temperature to grow the culture. Well, then when you once you set the milk and you cut the curd, you got to cook it now. So you gotta take it to 88 up to your cook temperature. I mean, if you're our cook temperature for cheddar, you know, it's like in the low hundreds. If you're doing mozzarella or a parm, it might go up to 110 or 115. You know, it's it whatever product you're making determines your your temperature where you'll cook to. So you need it for for temperature for for cooking your your cheese. Making cheese is just basically cooking. Yeah. You know, it's just a cooking process. And you need, and you need uh Steam to make hot water to clean, you know, everything, you know, you clean is, is heated by steam.
0: Now we talked a little bit about at the beginning of the podcast, the milk affecting obviously the taste of the cheese due to, you know, what your cows are consuming or the climate or whatnot. What are other things that affect the taste of your cheese? Um,
1: well, your age, your milk, I mean, how long, how long, how old your milk is, you know, you don't, you want to use your milk as fresh as possible, but you know, that doesn't always work that way. You know, if you have any problems, but and it is your culture program you're on, you know, your ingredient, your other ingredients, cause you know, milk's the main ingredient. Then you have your is your, your next basic ingredient and your rennet. Rennet will affect the taste to a certain point. That's what coagulates the milk. Um, if you use a vegetable-based rennet, you really won't get. You like to use a calf-based rennet, or or a or a clone of a calf-based rennet, if you're going to put cheese away for long hold. They it it just ages better, um, and it and some places you know they they don't they, they use nothing but vegetable-based rennet because they don't really okay. have long hold product. But your your basic and most important one is your culture program. You know what kind of what kind of what kind of cheese culture you put in, what you're trying to achieve. Um, I have I use a real like old fashioned culture program. I actually still mix up like starter media and I grow my own culture in a in a tank.
0: Okay, which
1: that's kind of a, almost a thing of the past. One because a lot of people don't want to fool around making starter. They don't know how to make you know their culture. It's inconvenient. It's a lot more, you know, now it's open a frozen bag of pellets that you buy. So uh, there's not, there's only a couple companies left that actually make powder to make starter uh, that have bulk starter programs. Because it's really going to more direct, direct fat sets, they call right. them. You know, you don't make it ahead of, you know, you just open up, you keep them in your freezer, you open a bag and dump them in. You can see that's obvious why that's easier. You know, yeah. it's just easier. But as all these companies are buying each other out. You got fewer and fewer options, you know, where everybody's just kind of tastes the same because you don't have any options. You and know, they're you
0: all using the same culture. You start using packs. the
1: start, but everybody kind of likes their own custom thing. And, but it's kind of hard to get custom. You can use them in different combos and they're going to work different every place they go. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't, I don't have any luck taking, making cheddar with a direct fat culture. It, 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 it changes my, it. it's just too different. It's too different. And they just don't grow good. In, I don't know if it's something to do with, because I'm on a bulk program that doesn't really coincide very well with a direct vat set program. But I do use direct vat sets because when you do kosher for Passover, you have to use a kosher for Passover culture. Mm. So you have to buy a frozen one. So them are frozen ones. And they don't work as good as good as my bulk set does, but they work. They work.
0: Since you're making your own, where did you learn about cultures? Was that something you went to school for or did you learn it here growing up?
1: No. Um, my mom actually used to do it. It's, it's fairly easy now. It was much, Years ago, you took milk and you put it in a tank and you would have a mother culture. You would keep some of your culture from the day before mm. and you would grow it in a... You'd sterilize it in a pressure cooker, uh, your media. You'd dump your mother culture in there, and my mom used to grow that in the basement. And then you would dump it in that milk, you know. So I I watched them do that by you know my whole life, which you don't do it even close, and that did not really work that great. You had a lot of cheese is much more consistent than it used to be. You you made a lot of bad cheese, you know when you know it didn't, just didn't work because yeah. if your mother culture would die and you and it wouldn't grow. You'd have to go to another factory, and you you would get they'd give you like a gallon of their culture. Then you would try to grow that in your media, and then you would start. So then, all of a sudden, your whole culture program would change, you know. And then if you had a lot of wood in your plant, mm-hmm. you know, you would you know they they call it flora now. You got your plant flora, but it was basically plant filth. Yeah, and, and that if you would clean up too good and clean everything up. You couldn't, all of a sudden you couldn't make cheese, yeah. you know, because your flora would all die. So, I mean, wow. that's a little gross when you look back at that, but that's, you know, yeah. and, and people look back at that fondly. And that's that, that, you know, that's not that fond to me. I mean, technology now is much better for, for your, your quality and, and reproducing, but there's a lot of little specialty plants that, that they're trying to, re, they're trying to produce, reproduce that. You know that, and and they. You don't have to do it. There's better ways to do it than that, and, and which, if you find small cu- cu- culture companies, they have a lot of options, and you can yeah. make you can you can custom make your your kind of program if you're looking for something different. You
0: know, if they're doing something that, and I'll just use old fashioned for an easy sort of term, but if they're doing something that old fashioned. Is the concern safety of something getting in there that, like, w- with these cheese factories that, like you were saying, if they cleaned up too well and you didn't have that flora, but if you had too much of it, were you then, you know, adding in disease or, or whatever it may be? Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that, not anymore. I mean, now, you know, it's that's the that's the biggest challenge of, of, of bacon cheese now is you're, you know, we're SQF, that safe quality food. And they have such stringent, you know, you know, standards how how your plants got to operate, how how you got to you can't be SQF and and have really any issues, you know it. And you you don't. Things are so different, you know. I I can remember years ago when guys would be making cheese, they'd be smoking and they'd set their cigarette on the edge <laughs> of the vat and and then work on the vat and take their smoke and put it. And I'm like, you know. You know that's things you're never going to see anymore. You know, and and farms are so much cleaner, and plants are so much cleaner. Mm-hmm. You know, you have so much more oversight. I mean, you know, that's. But I can. I, I'm, I'm old enough that I can I can remember that stuff. And you think, well, everybody will say, well, we were, you know, it was safe. There wasn't anybody getting sick then. Well, we're, there probably was people getting sick. We're just there wasn't a, the it maybe it um,
0: wasn't deadly, but they well, and there wasn't sick.
1: the. the well, when people died you didn't know what they died from. Right. And when people got sick, well people were tougher back then. But if people got sick in one town, the, the town six miles down the road didn't even know it. Where now right. if people on the other side of the world get sick from something, we we live in the age of information where yeah. any time you have a you have a food safety problem, you know, issue, you know, everybody's gonna know about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know, there's no you know, you know, there's there's no the way they track things now, it, you know, you know, we're in the age of information. You, you can you know things instantly. There's a website you, you go on as part of our SQF program, you know you have to go on and track what's going on everywhere to make sure that you aren't using something from someplace that uh-huh. that's having a problem. you know so that, that's you know they, they don't really have you know if they would go back 30 years, they had very few incidences of foodborne in, illness. Well, they did have them. They just didn't have the. They didn't track them. Right. You know, they just didn't know that. Right. You know? Where now you like I said, you know, food is so safe now when it comes to, the you know, you know you th- we do hear more stuff, but it's but it's only because we're getting more information, not because there's actually more problems. Because there's you know everything everything we make now got to be tested, go to a lab. You, you know, it gets this full battery of tests. So. You know if something happened you know you would have to you'd have to screw up so many things mm-hmm. that it you know, and, and and things are just the technology of of cleaning and and just the way you operate is so much better you know we, we don't even t- we really don't touch it anymore where before you always had you had your hands in it i mean yeah. when you made it you were you had your hands in it and you were sweating over the vats and stuff like that well now you just kind of watch machines run now right you know but that but the the trick to that is trying to not lose that handmade feel and you know, to trying to get your machines to replicate what you were doing. Yes. You know, that's that's the trick to that. Now that's why some places lose their old time flavor or is when you automate, you know, you change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Do do the new processes take more of that good like gut bacteria? out that maybe was in some of these older, or is it pretty much keeping the same thing in because the same yeah. processes are being done. It's just in a more sanitary way.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's you shouldn't lose that because I'm basically still when we did it by hand, I'm on the same basic starter culture program that I was then. Mm-hmm. So it's still growing the same thing. And for me, automating it really made the consistency better. We can we can stay on time much better um, than we did before because for my, in my instance my quality got better. I'm gonna, okay. you know it's it's so easy to if if I worked on a vat and then the next guy worked on the next vat you know I did it a little different and he did it a little different. Now it just gets done over and over. As long as it gets done over and over the right way, I mean if if you did it over and over the wrong way, but as long as we stick to our culture, grows good, our milk is good. It's actually yeah. better. It's e- it's more easy to replicate, you know, over gotcha. and over. When mm-hmm. you, you know, now you, you you put a, you let the computer program, you you watch it, but basically the program runs, you know, program cooks the vat, pumps it on the belt, you know, runs the belt. You know, as long as you don't have a problem with that and, or you want to, you know, you've got to tweak a little change once in a while because your culture doesn't always grow the same. And them are basic cheese making decisions that, the cheesemaker has got to make when he's doing it. But basically, it, you have to override the system if you want to make a big change, you know.
0: Gotcha. You know,
1: so otherwise it kind of gets done the same, you know, the same way. So it really helps your consistency long as you can get your automation to work like you, like you did by hand,
0: mm-hmm. you know. From the milk coming in to your finished cheese process, what's your timeline there?
1: When you're making cheddar, it's uh, when the milk hits the pasteurizer till the cheese comes out the block forming tower about six hours. Okay. You know, and it's it's not like one batch goes for six hours. We fill a vat in 55 minutes, so every 55 minutes we got a new batch coming. So we start running milk at 3:15 in the morning. We're done running milk maybe one o'clock, and so it's constantly, there's one batch going, and right behind it is another batch going, and they just okay. keep going. You know, we do 10, ten batches a day, usually.
0: Okay. I want to jump back um, to a quick question about cheese coloring. What do you use to color your cheese, and do you color all of your cheese?
1: We, we don't color all, all all of it. Um if It'll, you
0: can share what you use to color yeah,
1: your cheese, just a natto. Okay. Everybody okay. uses a natto seed coloring. Yeah, that's what, coloring. I,
0: what I had when yep. I researched that. That's what yes, I had saw. That,
1: that's what everybody mm-hmm. colors cheese with. Yep. And then it, you ask, why, why do you color cheese? Because when you go on the East Coast, there's very little colored cheese. Mm. But the reason they colored cheese, they started coloring cheese originally is because... When you had a lot of small farms and they were all grass-fed, basically, um, your milk at different times of the year was such different color. Sure. Sometimes of the year it would be far yellower because if they're eating real fresh green grass, mm-hmm. green and white makes yellow. So that milk would look a lot more yellow. In the winter, when they were on baled hay or on more corn, milk's whiter. So to, to try to get it to look the same all the time... That's when they start. That's why they started coloring milk.
0: Yeah. So we talked about the six-hour time frame of milk coming out to cheese that you're doing here, and you're doing ten of those batches a day. Now you're doing aged cheddars as well and aged cheeses. So talk to us a little bit about that process of then aging it.
1: Well, when I make when I make every vat of cheddar I make gets made the same, like it's going to be put away for aged. It doesn't all get put away for aged. It get made, some we cut when it's 20 days old, some gets cut when it's 4 months old. Some gets cut when it's a year old and some gets cut when it's 4 or 5 years old. Okay. And it's it's just aging is exactly what it says. You know, you take the pallet across the road and, and it sits in the cooler for 4 years, you know. Wow. That's it's I don't make I don't make my cheese different for if I make it mild cuz I really when I make it I don't really know what I'm going to use it for yet. Mm. You know, some customers I do. Some customers I I know they're gonna. They want to shred it in 21 days. That'll make a little different. You know, because you know, cheese for shredding, you want a little more moisture in it because it'll shred nicer. Cheese you're going to put away to age for a long time. You want it drier. You know, because it, it, you know, it just makes makes better cheese. Yeah. If it's too much moisture in it, I always say it'll get a little bitter when it as it ages.
0: Ah, okay. Now, Gibsville, are you guys? Local to Wisconsin, the Midwest, or are you shipping nationally?
1: the The stuff I make for myself that get actually gets a Gibbsville cheese label on is probably only is probably less than ten percent, and that's more southeastern Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, majority of my cheese I make is for somebody else. Gotcha. Yeah, like today, everything I'm making today is for somebody else. Everything I'm making tomorrow is for somebody else. Everything I make on Wednesday is for somebody else. I don't know if I'm making any. Well, I I'll, I I have curd. I got a bag this week. My bag curd. So this week, out of my, I'll make say, sixty thousand pounds of cheese this week. Uh, probably a thousand pounds is we'll get a or label on. Everything else will get. It's for somebody else.
0: And by somebody else, you mean larger cheese distributors that are more nationwide or global?
1: Yeah. Well. Basically, today I'm making kosher for Passover. Mm. So, that all goes to the to uh, the kosher for Passover company from uh, gotcha. Global Foods. That's what we're doing it for today. Um, tomorrow, I'm doing organic for Organic Valley. Mm. On Wednesday, I'm doing uh, kosher, a lower level of kosher for Passover without supervised milking. I'm doing that on Wednesday. Thursday, I'm doing... Uh, Stuff for Organic Valley. And after that, something for Emmy Roth. And on Friday, I'm I'm doing a vat for a local farmer that, that wants to do the cheese business. And another local farmer that's bringing me some milk that he wants to do some stuff with. And i got to look on my schedule. There might be a vat or two that I end up keeping out of all that. Yeah. But, yeah, that's kind of that. And that's typical for me, you know, in a yeah. week. I, I'm small. So I'm flexible. I can do... You don't need a big volume of milk for me to run stuff. You gotcha. know, like like small batch production, which small batch production for me is 16,000 pounds of milk. My vats are 16,000 pounds, which sounds like a lot, but there's places that have 80,000 pound vats. Like what I run, what I run all day, like Cedar Valley or Baker or like Lake to Lake, they'll run that an hour. They wow. run that much milk in an hour.
0: Wow! You know what it
1: takes me all day. That so that's a difference in scale. Yeah. yeah. You know.
0: So you have local small farmers coming to you and saying, "Hey, we want to like label our own cheese." Yep. So you're doing some white label stuff for them.
1: Yep. Uh, little Brown Cow and now uh, what's the name of Strockview's label? Jersey Valley. Jersey Valley. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And did you guys market that as a service at to increase business going from, like, a local cheese farm? Or did people just start coming to you and going, hey, we heard you have great cheese. We want to work with you. We want to create our own brand.
1: No, I, I didn't. One is a friend of mine. Uh-huh. <laughs> one, one, uh, little Brown Cow, that's a Donnie Wilterdick. He was he was a farm. He was oh, one sure. of my I farmers. Oh, sure. I know Donnie Wilterdick. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with his he, daughter. Yeah, yeah he's Little Brown Cow. Um, he'll... He t- he wants he wants cheese made out of Jersey milk. Well, Jersey milk basically has got too much fat in it to to make it long hold. It'll get a little. It, it's got so much. It's so rich a milk. It'll get a little rancid. Hmm. So I, I'll take that and I'll mix that with some of my normal milk that comes in, and, and and we make so it's like half Jersey milk, half Holstein milk, and 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 then I cut it. I, I make it into forty pound blocks, and I cut it into one pounders, and. Him and his, you know, his, his bunch of kids Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. basically are running around selling this all over. Yeah. You know, because the, the hard part of all that, the startups, is not, you know, they have the milk. They can find someone to make cheese. But it's, you got to find some place to sell your cheese. Yeah, You know, it, it it's that's the hard part. You know, you just can't go to a store and say, hey, I'm here with some cheese. Can you find a spot for me? You know, that's not how it works, you know. But now like Strockview, they have... They're, they have some Jerseys and some Holsteins, but they're they're on a breeding program. They're trying to produce cheese that's low, that's A2H2. A2H2 is is milk that is easier for people that are lactose intolerant to tolerate. Okay. So that's that is. A to H two. I don't know what A 2 H two stands for. Yeah, you'd have to exactly. ask. You'd have to ask uh, Kenny Strzok exactly. But that's through breeding. You know, people have tried that before through different feeding programs, mm-hmm. and uh, but now they they're doing it with breeding. Gotcha. So he started doing it maybe six months ago, and he's trying to run around and 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 market his cheese. You know. So.
0: And then some of the bigger, more national uh food providers or whatever it may be that are coming to you and whether it's the kosher or or different items they're seeking you out or do you have a program to go out and say hey if you need cheese made on a here's what we can do
1: um it's kind of a little both most of them find me i i don't i have enough stuff to do during the day that i Mm -hmm. i don't really that i'm not I, I don't have really time to sell. I like I like working with big companies, and especially if they source milk, like organic companies or kosher companies. I don't even have to source the milk; mm-hmm. they'll source, you know, they'll source the milk, bring yeah. it in, and all I got to do is make cheese out of it, do the QA on it, you know, it's milk in, cheese out, and that's pretty simple. Yeah. I don't have to source milk, I don't have to sell cheese. All I have to do is make it. Yeah. You know that that's that's. And then optimum. they
0: label it on their own.
1: Yeah, some I cut for them, but generally that just moves out on a pallet in a 40 pound block and you know then then that's 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 very that's very simple not all of them are that simple but uh you know years ago you know you used to have to sell everything you you made and I like working on that because my risk is very low right you know you know you know I, I don't I don't sit with a lot of inventory then I it, it's pretty easy when and you, you always hand accounts that as soon as you make it that they're wondering when they can pick it up but it's kind of fun, it's kind of it's kind of easy yeah. because it's gone right away and you get paid right away. And and so you know that's 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 kind of nice. But I've over the years I've had when I started doing organic, oh god, I that was probably 30 years ago, that was very small, and there was a lot of small ones trying to get into organic. So as they knew, you know, you could do a little research and 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 figure out where where the milk's going and what they're doing with it. And people would call me. I'm gonna think I probably made cheese for probably five different organic places, and I'm gonna say all but one failed because they they thought they had they had oh, we have organic milk. Well, that's hard to get organic milk. That that's a that's a long transition. So they think they got that. Now we found some place that can make it for us. So now we got a we got thirty a thirty thousand pound load of milk. Well, that'll make basically 3,000 pounds of cheese. Now you want to cut into an eight ounce. Now you got 6,000 eight ounce units to sell. That was, they thought they were over the hump when they got to that point. No, Now you got to sell No, it. No, you hit the spot. Now it would never take them long before they ran out of money, you know, because wow. they had no place to sell it. So wow. you got to revert. you got to, you almost have to, you have to have a place to sell it first and then make it. But how do you sell something you don't have? You know okay. that's that's always the catch twenty two of them, them startups. Yeah. You know they don't they they you know you got to do it backwards and and unless you're a unless they're backed by a big company that can fund this you know it, it's almost impossible to do it. It's even harder now than it was. You and know.
0: you and you guys have a cheese store. So for our listeners out there, we're sitting. In uh Gizville Cheese Factory today, and I walked through the cheese store to come back here. You guys are selling cheese out in your cheese store. How long have you had a cheese store on site this entire 89 years? No, no,
1: early 70s. Okay, early. I would say we, we always before we had the actual store built on, you know, we had just a little cooler where people would just walk in and get what they wanted, and it was an honor honor thing or somebody would
0: cash in a box yeah yeah
1: yeah, basically you know people would walk in the back door just come walking (laughs) in and you know that's so funny now because we have to have cameras everywhere everything's got to be locked up and and that's that's one thing you won't see anymore is uh people just coming in um and we used to just we would run milk in a five in a 10 gallon can with a ladle by it and if people wanted milk (laughs) they would just take milk out of it you know I'm just like into their pitcher, you know, and, and, and pay for their milk. I'm like, Oh man, wow. that's why, that's why we have so much food safety now. And, uh-huh. and I'm thinking, you know, we, somehow we survived, you know, Yeah. you know, but that, like I said, that's, that, that I can actually remember that, that was like in the sixties. Cause when I, when I used to get off the bus, you know, from kindergarten, my, my grandma lived next door. and My mom was usually in here working. So, I came in here every day after when I was like five, six years old, and I thought I was helping. They'd give me stuff to do, only to keep me out of the way. I'm sure, <laughs> but they'd give me they'd give me jobs to do. So that that I actually can remember.
0: And the cheese store here, um, growing up, this is where we came and got our cheese from. The cheese store here. Every time I come visit, come into this cheese store and pick up the cheese. How busy is your cheese store here? Is that a majority of the Gibbsville branded cheese is being sold out of this store?
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything that gets a Gibbsville label on. We handle Pine River uh, cheese spread also. And and it's basically I get stuff from Chalet, like like Swiss, because we stuff we don't make. Yeah. I source from other places. Um, but yeah, I try to sell as much of the Gibbsville stuff as I can here. That um they built the original store on. I'm thinking in the early '70s. I think 1973. Then in 1982, they built a piece on the back and expanded it. Because, like I said, it, it was a it's a it's a nice little cash supplement. Yeah. You know.
0: What are your top items that you sell out of the store?
1: Uh, cheese curd. Yep. Um, and our normal cheese besides cheese curd, one pound medium and one pound sharp sell the, of the That that's yeah. my two most popular varieties.
0: Talk to us a little bit about cheese curds. That's the Wisconsin, you know, that's what we're known for. That's what yep. everyone jokes around about. Tell us about uh, kind of a, a little brief history of the cheese curd.
1: Well, cheese curd is, it's, you don't make cheese curds special. You know, right. cheese curds just are made. It, it just, you know, they get pressed up to a 40-pound block. I You know, we always sold cheese curds. You know, the question was, you know, how did you perfect cheese curds? It didn't really have, all we did is put, all we did is put it in a bag and sell it to, you know, at first it was kind of weird because you're buying cheese that's only half done. You know, that's basically, you know, that's basically, it's it's cheese that's not done, you know, and now it's, like I said, there's plants now that all they do is cheese curds, you Uh know, that, uh, you know, you know, we didn't have to perfect it. You know, you only had to perfect the package you put it in because right. that's that's the easiest thing to make because you didn't even finish it, you know.
0: Uh-huh. You're fourth generation?
1: I'm third. Third yeah. generation. My son is fourth. Okay.
0: So. What mark are you leaving on Gibbsville cheese? Or do you think every generation has left a mark? Or or is it more just improving on some of the processes like we talked about? You know, the the vats aren't being heated by wood or steam anymore um, in that, you know, old traditional manner. Is that just we're improving or are you, is there something that you want to leave a mark as third generation?
1: Well, I I didn't really have a mark. I'd set the, but everybody's got to get across their challenges. You know, my grandpa at the time, you know, that's when, you know, when they first made milk, that was cans. Then Mm. it went cans to bulk tanks. And when bulk tanks came in, then you had grade A milk. And then Borden's built their Borden's plant in Milwaukee, and basically they would give farmer a bulk tank and get him set up to be grade A. So at one time, Borden's came in and like took all our milk wow. and they basically told all those little and and that's when a lot, of, like in the 50s, that's when a, probably half of the little cheese factories didn't survive. Wow.
0: So he had, yeah.
1: he had to get a, he had to get us across that. And then when my dad ran it, he, he, he had to get it, you know. He had to rebuild that back, you know, because then the the how they paid for milk changed. you know. Otherwise, bottling plants got all the A milk. Cheese factories had the B. A paid more, so everybody was transitioning. Well, finally they had a they had to change the formula for 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 paying for milk because no can guys left anymore. Very few, you know, B guys were less and less all the time. Mm-hmm. So then. When it swung, when it swung around, how they changed, how they paid for milk. Also, cheese factories actually had a. There was more lucrative to make cheese out of a milk than oh. put it in a bottle. And wow. and and bottled milk has been sliding, the consumption and cheese has been going the other way. So you know he had a transition across, and then there was stuff they had to do in the plants. You know, as food safety stuff got tighter. All of a sudden, your pasteurizer, your pasteurizer, you used to just put it online. You know, you trust it. Okay, it's up to 160. We'll start running milk through, and it could have went up to down to 140 or whatever. there was no. Well, then they had to put the call what they call the flow diversion valve, and that's when your when your pasteurizer gets under a certain temperature, it shut it goes off, oh. and it recirculates the milk, so you can't not pasteurize it. Well, a lot of that was uh, back in the early 80s to buy the valves and the controls to run it, it was like $30,000. And at the time, you know, that was $30,000 in 1980. So that hacked off a, a lot yeah. more cheese factories again because they were, they were, they were, because they couldn't, you know, they're $30,000, you know, that'd be like spending a half a million dollars now, you know? Right. And so that took out a lot of them. So, you know, he then you had to make your decision. Do we keep going? You know, do you, we transition from cans to bulk tanks. You know, now you got to tra- – the next step, you got to – you know, the next step to go. You know, so he – my dad, I was thinking, he got me across that. And he got us more into the modern times. Mm-hmm. You know, he built a warehouse across the road. You know, he, he built the store. He built a piece on the back. You know, he, he kind of got us – him and my mom, they started our mail order, which we don't do the mail order anymore because it's getting – it was just getting too hard to do the mail order, you know, that – that you, you can't do everything, you right. fight, you know, you just can't do it all. But, you know, they got us kind of through, you know, kept it going, you know, basically, and kind of modernized the infrastructure. Well, 13 years ago, I built a piece on the back, um, and, you know, my mark is I took us the next the next step in it uh-huh. because you would never, you know, if, if we'd have to go back and run the volume of milk we do now the way we used to do it, you know you just couldn't do it you mm. couldn't do it you you would have to you would have to stay super small and i am i'm still super small only because i'm not growing as fast as other guys have grown you know me sure. and baker she's at one time like in the 80s probably ran the same amount of milk where now i i run you know 150,000 a day and they run 2.5 million pounds a day so wow. i mean they have and and their generations that and but they're they're in the you know they're they're in the string business, which is especially business, and but they're all in on string. You know, because gotcha. we love string. You know, you know, we, yeah. you know, they you know America loves string cheese, it's handy as can be. And as that string grew, they paced right with it. But like I said, at one time we were all about the same size. You know, we just grew you know, at, at different rates. Mm-hmm. And they grew because they had to, and I grew at the rate that I had to, you know, mm-hmm. that I don't I don't want I I don't want to a big plant like that. Yeah, I have enough headaches with a small plant. You know. Uh huh.
0: You know. How many people do you have employed here at Gibbsville?
1: I think twelve. Okay. Yeah, with with everybody in the office and it fourteen. My wife says fourteen. Okay.
0: So, so there's probably not many people, unless it's super small batch getting into cheese making nowadays. I would assume they're maybe just going. Hey, I have a farm a small hobby farm and I'm doing this as a hobby to make my own maybe in a traditional style or something. But my guess would be there's not a lot of people being like, I'm gonna start a cheese factory.
1: If I, I always I always liked this romantic idea that I was always oh, gonna build a small little cheese factory right on the highway, right mm-hmm. on I forty three and make like one VAT a day, you know, and and you know, sell everything right on the highway. And if you'd have to do that today, I don't know if you could do it for a million dollars. Oh, By the wow. time you built your building or found a building and got all the stuff you needed to to do that and to do it, you know, efficiently, that you could make some money, I I, I think it would be a million dollars. And and you know, who's got a million dollars? You know, who, you know, people right. that have a million dollars just sit on their million dollars. They don't want to.
0: They're not taking their million dollars battery. and work. Yeah. You know.
1: Yeah. You know, so it it would it's so hard. You 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 know like. There's, there's a farmer on Madison that has called me that wants to do the same thing them guys. But but he, he doesn't have enough milk, and he's too far away to bring his milk here to do it. And then he, he asked me about doing it on the farm. And there's places that do it on the farm, but you better have a big farm, and you better have some good cash flow because, like I said, it's going to cost a lot of money to get up and going. And then when you're all ultimately done, you better make something good that mm-hmm. people want to buy, and you got to find a place to sell it. Mm-hmm. You can have something really good, but no place to sell it. You know, And then if they don't know anything, if you aren't doing it, if, if, if there was somebody that he worked for somebody like for, for 10 years and he knew his, he knew exactly what he was getting into making cheese and what he needed, and you could go source stuff and you could, do things completely right, it'd still be hard. Wow. You know, yeah. And most farmers don't have any cheese making experience. They have milking, you know, farm experience. Right. And and they like I said, it's it's not, I always say it's not as easy as it looks. Making cheese basically is pretty easy. You know, it's just a cooking process. And once you've got it mastered, it's it's fairly easy and repeatable. But it's your sales. You have to have sales. Yeah. You know, it's it's not hard making cheese, but it is hard making money on cheese. Yeah. You know, that's you know, that's the the kick on it. And there's small places that start up, but like I said, it's it's a lot of work and and now I mean pre COVID things were expensive to get up and going mm. now it's 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 much worse now and much harder to get stuff done. Get stuff, period. Mm. You know.
0: There was um and maybe you don't have an answer for this, but I and I and I didn't have it on our, our questions today, but it what you just said about COVID made me think of this. I would say and, and maybe I have the time frames wrong here, but maybe six months into COVID, we were seeing pictures on the news of Milk being dumped out of trucks, or people saying that milk's being dumped out. Number one, was that true? Two, if it was, why was that happening?
1: Well, because people were going to the grocery stores and buying a bunch of milk. So they said, "Oh, you can only buy you can only buy one gallon of milk." So you can only buy one gallon of milk. What are your still your store sales doing? Your milk, the, you know? Yeah. Th- that all of a sudden. You had so they,
0: were, they were saying, okay, we, we think they all, should have let people all, buy as much milk
1: as they wanted because there's yes. plenty. But what, what wow. made it back up all at one time is sheer panic. You know, when, when all of a sudden the state of Wisconsin they say, oh, nobody can go to work because my employees are asking me, what are we going to do? We're going to keep working, we have to milk's going to keep coming, yeah. you know, we're not stopping it. And if we stop making food, aren't people going to starve to death? This makes no sense, right? You know, it makes no sense, you know. So, and but. That whole panic of that, and then it then people that were what what made the stuff back up was that people that are in food service into restaurants, you know, that all of a sudden their milk, them are plants that shut down, right? Because we got we have no sales, we have no sales, but but people had to eat at home, you know, mm-hmm. people had to eat like people that were like making mozzarella that were are have like pizza chains. They're, they they thought they were business was gonna die, until they figured out that oh we we can't have people eating here, but we can have takeout. We can have still have delivery. And and I know got a couple guys in the pizza business. He said when we you know when we re, we were swamped. We were so busy because we were the only food option. You know mm-hmm. people wanted to pick up something. All the restaurants are closed except the. If you were set up for takeout or delivery, where pizza places generally are, yeah. and, and that whole combination with, with people panicking that, that are in the food service, um, like places that make like feta and blue cheese that goes on salad bars, they've ne- they still haven't recovered, you know, because a lot of salad bars never reopen, and most, most of that cheese people do not buy and take home. Right. They almost eat that all in a sit down. They you don't you don't get a generally you don't get a salad with feta or blue cheese on as a takeout. Right. You know. So that some of that stuff has still really not come back. Wow. But the pizza stuff took off and then when they when they limited people to only buy one gallon of milk and then you're seeing pictures of them dumping, you know, Vorpel's dumping a uh, tanker load of milk into the manure pit. Yeah. That, that and that was just pan. nobody. Nobody really thought about what they were. What they. Everyone has good intentions, but you know.
0: There's so much more yeah. behind that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. That, that. makes perfect sense. Yeah.
1: Okay. Said so that, and and because I helped, I had. Uh, I do stuff for Emmy Roth. Emmy Roth's got a, up in Seymour. They have a big blue cheese plant, mm. and and they're like, we got to do something with this milk. Well, they they brought it here, and I just I made white cheddar for them. Yeah. Well, after after they opened back up up there, and I always made some white cheddar for Emmy Roth. I didn't make white cheddar for a year because they had they had so much white cheddar that they didn't they didn't need any cheese for a while. Yeah. You know
0: what is next for Gibbsville cheese?
1: I'm not sure. I'm 61 years old. <laughs> um, I'm not really ready to quit yet, but uh, that's something I got to kind of start looking at a little bit. Um, I I have my son. He's 30. Um, he five years ago, I don't think he was all that thrilled about it. Um, as he's getting older, I I think he, I think he, you know, the grass is always greener. I, working for your, I work for my dad. You know, working for your dad isn't always that great. Um but I'm thinking now that when he looks at doing other things, maybe working for your dad isn't that bad. And he doesn't really work for me. He you know, he he's he's vice I'm president, he's vice president, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really mean nothing. We all we're all working. We're right. all you know, we're all doing something. He's down working tables, I'm loading away trucks, you know, you know that that you know, that that's them are just titles that, that don't really mean anything. But I, I think he likes it more. I, I look back at when, before I was married, my dad probably thought the same thing. He's mm. all, cause all I wanted to do was play sports and screw around and yeah. and but I you know when I was 24 years old I was married and when you're married and then you have some kids you, you don't do that anymore and you get a little more serious about life and he's got the skill set to do it but does he want to do it you know yeah, but I have not yeah mm-hmm. I I have good guys I don't I don't turn all my guys are good I mean I I I don't really have to be here I'm here a lot only because I really like being here a lot yeah. you know I I don't really shouldn't say I have to be here a lot, but I I don't have anything better to do basically there's nothing else I really want to do. Yeah. So I, I plan on working for a while yet, I hope.
0: What's um what's something about Wisconsin cheese history or culture that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Anything in particular?
1: Actually that you people in Wisconsin should appreciate what what a what a like a cornucopia of different mm. stuff they can get in Wisconsin that even people that live close to a cheese factory, you know what a cheese curd is. If you didn't live close to a cheese factory, you don't know what a, a cheese... You know, now, people all over the country know what a cheese curd is, but when you throw them a cheese curd, they're like, how come it's not breaded and deep fried? Right. You know, they don't really know... You know, they what a, yeah. that, that people in Wisconsin, we're spoiled on food anyhow, period. Mm. I mean, you go to other parts of the country... And you don't have to even go that far. When they think cheese, they think of five pound loaf of, of sliced processed cheese, right, yeah. just like processed goo. Where you know we're we're so we're we're so spoiled that you know you should appreciate what what really good stuff we got. Not, not just good Gibbsville, but you don't last anywhere making bad product. And any, any, any cheese factory that's still going is making something good. Yeah. Otherwise they wouldn't be here.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking time out today to talk to us about Gibbsville cheese, about Wisconsin cheese culture. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Yep. Thanks for stopping.
0: Thank you for being a listener of Conversation Mill. The podcast is growing, but we need your continued support in the form of comments, likes, and subscriptions. If you've enjoyed even one episode, please take two minutes to comment under the episode or the podcast itself, or rate the podcast. Hitting the subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast helps tremendously. Every like and subscribe helps me support local businesses and local nonprofits by giving them a platform to tell their stories. Together, we can foster the understanding, diversity, and economies that make our individual communities flourish, while creating our own community here at Conversation Mill. Also, you can join us at conversationmill.substack.com, where you can become a member and receive weekly member-only content, including member-only episodes. I look forward to sharing a new conversation with you next week, and as always, thank you for your support.